Now, and let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Colossians, chapter 3, where we're studying on Sunday morning in a series entitled, uh, Give Me Jesus. And so, we come to verse 17, chapter 3, Colossians, just a reminder as we're turning there, Sunday nights we uh, journey all the way through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We're currently in uh, Luke chapter 7 this evening, and, uh, and then we'll uh, creep into chapter 8, uh, or, uh, so that'll be this evening, and each of you are invited. Another opportunity to worship uh, the Lord tonight at 6 o'clock. Single verse, verse 17, Paul writes to the church there and to us, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for the privilege of being able to turn to Your Word, and it is the plumb line. Um, it is the thing that keeps us from believing all of the different lies that we would otherwise be seduced by and the world around us is seduced by. It is the safe path through life, and we are grateful for it. And we never take Your Word for granted. And we pray that You would take the beauty and the richness of this verse and that You would build it into our lives in some way by Your Holy Spirit this morning. We've come to meet with You. We've come to worship You. We've come to be impacted and changed by You. And we pray that You would do that now as we move to our worship of You and the study of Your Word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Possessing a uh, proper motivation is really uh, a requirement for accomplishing any uh, major accomplishment um, in life, the, the achieving of any kind of significant goal. And in that regard, I'm very fond of a particular story. I think I've told it once or twice in the course of 35 years, but it, uh, I like it a lot, and it, it uh, bears repeating here uh, in this context. It's the story of a young man who was making his way home at night and uh, decided to take a shortcut through a graveyard. And as he was making his way through the graveyard, uh, he fell into an open grave. And he spent a significant amount of time uh, clawing at the sides of, of the, the dirt and the grave uh, and trying to get out and yelling and screaming with all of his might for someone to hear him and come and rescue him. And finally, he just uh, gave up and he curled up in a dark corner of, uh, of the grave and just was going to wait until morning uh, to be rescued. A little while later, there was another young man who was making his way through the same graveyard, taking the shortcut, and he also fell into the grave. And he did the same thing, yelling and screaming for help and clawing at the sides uh, of the grave. And uh, uh, then from the corner of of the grave, there was the first young man said to the second, he said, you can't get out of here. Uh, but he did. And, uh, uh, and the difference between the two young men, they're both in, in, in exactly the same plight, in exactly the same situation. Uh, and, and yet the second young man possessed a motivation that the first young man did not. 
And of course, it made all of, of the difference. And that's the power and the importance of motivation in life, and not only escaping an open grave, but it's really, really important in every area of life. Achieving significant goals in our lives and uh, necessi- necessitates the possession of a motivation for doing so. And a motivation that is greater than all of the hardship, all of the sacrifice, uh, all of the difficulty that will be faced in really accomplishing or achieving anything great uh, in life. And nowhere is that motivation more important than in what God has called us uh, to do as Christians in living the Christian life in a world that is, is very fallen and very much in rebellion to Him. Remember what we find ourselves in the middle of here in verse 17. The Apostle Paul has called upon us in these verses uh, the, uh, as Christians in verse 12 to put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, uh, meekness, long-suffering. In verse 13, he's called on us to bear with one another as Christians and to forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. In verse 14, that we're to put on uh, love for one another. In verse 15, to let the peace of God rule in our hearts. In verse 16, to let the Word of God dwell in us richly. Again in verse 16, to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs uh, to the Lord. And the Apostle Paul isn't going to stop there in terms of his progression through uh, this letter. He continues then into chapters, uh, through the rest of chapter 3 and into chapter 4, and he's going to instruct us on uh, Christian marriage and uh, child rearing. Then he's going to move on to how we're to conduct ourselves uh, on the job as Christians, whether we are employees or whether we are the employer. He's going to instruct us on uh, prayer, our interaction with those who are not yet Christians. He's going to instruct us concerning our speech as he moves well into uh, chapter 4. And as wonderful as all of Paul's instruction to us here uh, is, and as much as we might uh, desire to obey all of it as Christians, without the power of the Holy Spirit, and uh, without that power of the Holy Spirit then being coupled with a powerful motivation, a uh, inexhaustible motivation uh, that God has supplied to us, then we will never be successful in any of the things that he has already commanded us to do. We will read all that he began to uh, exhort us to accomplish and to be in verses 12 through 17 and beyond, and all it'll look like is just a a dream. Uh, It'll look like something that can never be, uh, ever be accomplished within uh, within our lives. We'll look at it and and we'll say, all of this is beyond our reach. All of this is impossible. I suppose God has a need to say these kind of things to mankind, but in terms of really accomplishing it, we have no hope of, of, of doing that. And without the Holy Spirit and without the motivations that God provides to us, that's the way the whole Bible uh, would look uh, uh, to us. And in this verse 17, 
The apostle provides us with uh, the two highest and most powerful and I really think inexhaustible motivations for living the Christian life and obeying God's commandments, whatever the obstacles uh, might be, whatever the sacrifice uh, might be in, uh, uh, that we would face. And the first motivation that he provides to us is to obey God and live for him out of a desire to glorify him in our lives. And the second motivation that he provides us is to obey what he has called us to do here and to, and to obey him out of a heart of gratitude toward God for all that he is, who he is, and then all that he has done uh, in our lives. And so we begin with that uh, uh, sentence, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That is, with a desire to glorify him, with a desire that God would be seen in my life, uh, that God would be made known through our lives as Christians, that people would come to know God and uh, the life uh, that God calls a human being to uh, just as, as we have. The Apostle Paul declared all of this in a similar vein in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, where he wrote, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, you notice that Paul tells us that we're to, uh, to do uh, all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so what does it mean uh, to do all in the name uh, of the Lord Jesus? Does that mean that when we uh, finish every conversation that we have with a person, that we uh, then tap them on the forehead and say, in Jesus' name? Uh, or the, in every uh, interaction that we have in life or every uh, act that we accomplish in life that we would then, uh, before we leave the room or leave our desk or leave uh, whatever we would say uh, concerning it in Jesus' name. That's not what Paul is calling us to. In the Bible, a person's name represents something uh, more than a name typically represents in the United States of America. So we pick out names, say, I, I like that name uh, for a child, or that would be a cute name, or that would be a strong name, or whatever it might be. And we pick names out basically to differentiate ourselves from the other seven billion people that live in the world. But that's not what a name means in the Bible and represents uh, in the Bible. In the Bible, in the Old Testament Jewish culture, uh, the na a name represented the nature or the character of a person. So, for instance, when Jesus spoke to the disciples and he uh, taught them in John 14, 13, and he said, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. He wasn't teaching that we could ask for anything and everything in life as Christians. And as long as we added in Jesus' name to the end of that prayer, that God would now be formally obligated to give us everything that uh, we have, uh, have asked for. 
Jesus was teaching that anything that we ask of God the Father that is consistent with Jesus' name, that is consistent with his nature, that is consistent with his character, then we can be confident that God will then bless us with uh, that request. The problem is, is that in the United States of America, because we're raised in such a materialistic uh, uh, culture that we come to esteem the greatest riches in life unless we kind of uh, are aware of it and fight against it that the greatest things that we can ever ask of God are material things a bigger this a better that or a, a something that we don't have yet and uh, and yet those aren't the real riches in in life and so if we ask God for daily bread we ask him for clothing we ask him for shelter we ask him for strength we ask him for wisdom we ask him uh, uh, for the capacity to forgive uh, the capacity uh, to love our neighbor indeed even to love uh, our our enemies and so forth these are all things that are being asked in Jesus's name and consistent with his character and then we can be confident that God will answer that prayer and bestow that in our our lives and it's true of everything that Paul is listed here in verses 12 through 17 in this section of the book of Colossians so to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus is to follow his example and his character and his nature as it's revealed in the scripture in all of our saying and in all of our doing. And to, again, do it out of a desire uh, that he would be revealed in and through our lives, that God would be glorified through our lives. And for any Christian, Certainly any Christian that's uh, filled with the Spirit and, and uh, has had a, a living encounter with God, when God calls on us to live for the glory of God in, in this way and everything that we do, this, is, uh, much, this isn't a kind of a grinding obligation. Uh, all of this is much less a command than it is a motivation. We long to glorify Him in our families and in our world and in our neighborhoods. We want everybody to know Him uh, just as we uh, know Him. It's the joy and, and desire of our heart. And again, to quote as I did last time, we were in the book of Colossians, the uh, Westminster Shorter uh, Confession, which says, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him uh, forever. And so, being born again by the Holy Spirit, it's not only our chief end to glorify uh, God, but it is our eternal joy to glorify God uh, through our lives. Now, before we leave this part of the verse, you notice that when Paul writes, and whatever you do in word or deed, that he's speaking of how uh, comprehensively we're to apply this to our lives, to all of our speaking, uh, to all of our doing. That's pretty all-inclusive. In, uh, in, and, uh, and so everything in our lives, Paul is saying, can be used to bring glory uh, to God. And so this passage 
speaks to us about something that most of us are aware of, but uh, it's always good to be reminded of. And that is that there is no sacred secular division uh, in the life of a Christian. Everything is sacred. Everything is holy. Uh, everything that comes out of our mouth has, uh, it, it can be sacred and, and not secular. Everything that we do with this motivation becomes sacred, becomes holy, uh, uh, rather than uh, being secular. When we do what we do in the raising of our families or in our impact at work or the job that we do at work or how we interact with our neighbors or whatever uh, it might be, there isn't, here's the church side of my life as a Christian and then here is the secular uh, part of my life. And, and when Paul writes this in verse 17, coming right off of verse 16, he's communicating that our spirituality uh, isn't merely, as important as it is, our spirituality isn't merely expressed in Bible study and Bible reading and uh, in our singing to God, but in all that we say and do, and even and, and maybe especially uh, in those things that are not obviously spiritual activities, but we consider them to be spiritual activities because we do them with a desire that God would be glorified through uh, our lives. The second part of the verse here where Paul says, giving thanks to God the Father uh, through him. And here we have the second great uh, inexhaustible motivation for living the Christian life and obeying God's uh, commandments. And it is to do so out of gratitude. And to do so out of a heart of gratitude toward God. And always a heart of gratitude toward God first and foremost for who He is and what He is. And then a heart of gratitude for what He does and has done in our lives out of who He is and, and what He is. All of the blessings that are in our lives because uh, 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 of His grace and His love toward us. And it's great to talk about Thanksgiving. It comes up right on cue here wonderfully with Thanksgiving week uh, stretching out in, in front of us a little bit later in the week. I don't know how I'm going to eat through that mask, but I'll work on it. Um, I, just, I just hope I can even have Thanksgiving with myself this Thursday. I don't know what further restriction uh, might be placed upon us. It, it is interesting here that the Greek word that the Apostle Paul used here for thanks is uh, eucharis teo. And it's made up of two Greek words, uh, eu, which means good, and charis, which means great, grace. In other words, Paul is calling on us to thank God and live with an attitude of gratitude uh, toward God for all of the good His expressions of grace has brought into our lives. That's what He's declaring here. And one of my favorite definitions of thankfulness is it is the proper response to recognized blessing. 
It is the proper response to recognized blessing. And it's absolutely uh, true. But as wonderful as that definition is, it has a very, very noticeable weak link uh, in it. And that weak link is found in the word recognized. It is the proper response to a recognized blessing. Because it is possible to be unimaginably, indescribably blessed by God. And uh, whether because of the curse of familiarity in our lives or because we have been conformed uh, by the culture around us until we have an, a, a, an attitude uh, of, uh, uh, of entitlement that we even bring to God in our relationship with God. And an entitlement attitude is an absolute death blow to any thanksgiving. You wonder why it doesn't exist within our culture anymore. That's one of the reasons. And uh, why would I thank anyone for everything that is just due me uh, and I have a right to have? And so it can be sometimes that we just are too familiar with these blessings or we possess a sense of entitlement or it's just simple forgetfulness that, that we cease to recognize uh, those blessings. But because the Apostle Paul here calls on us to uh, give thanks to God. And he calls on us, he uses the grammar here, that he uses here, he calls on us to give thanks to God presently and continually. That's, uh, that's what he, he wants us to note here. It must mean that in uh, the life of every Christian, that there is always a present, continual, unceasing cause for thanksgiving in our lives. And the reason that Paul uh, calls on us to do that is because there always is that present, continual, unending cause for thanksgiving in, in our lives. Now, we remember that the Apostle Paul wrote this letter from Rome. It's one of his prison uh, epistles so if he's writing this from Rome, verse 17, uh, from a, a Roman imprisonment, uh, these blessings from God uh, must in his mind include more than just living in uh, comfortable circumstances and uh, having plenty to eat or uh, the best food to eat. Now these blessings must also include in his mind the blessings in life that cannot be interrupted by hardship, cannot be interrupted even by a Roman imprisonment. They are the blessings in life that lie beyond the reach of any human circumstance we might find ourselves in in, in life. And, uh, and that's exactly what he's talking about here. These blessings that are ours, that are continual and unchanging. Now, when, when I think about the subject of thanksgiving in general, and uh, when I think about thanksgiving on Thanksgiving Day, my mind always goes to two particular places in the Bible. And uh, your mind may go to two different places, and they may be even better places, but I've got to work with um, 
but I got it myself. And so these are my, my mind always goes to the same uh, uh, two places in order to prime the pump within my heart and my spirit and my mind to cause me to remember all of the things that I have to be thankful for in life that are never changed by my uh, circumstances. And one of those places is another one of uh, Paul's prison epistles is uh, Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 14, and the second one is Psalm uh, 103. And in fact, either one of those passages is a great passage to read uh, before uh, uh, you partake of Thanksgiving meal, whether with a family or on your own. This coming uh, Thursday, great passages to read uh, to just set the tone before thanking God for whatever the meal might be before you. So kind of in priming the pump of thankfulness in our lives from Ephesians chapter uh, 1 verses 1 through 14, the Apostle Paul there, he reminds us that we've been chosen by God before the foundation of the world. All right, it's just like a theological thing, a theological statement that you make. All right, we've been chosen by God before the foundation of the world. But, it, but to just stop and to realize that our salvation is a part of His plan that reaches uh, forward all the way into the eternity before us, but it also reaches all the way back to before the foundation of the world. In other words, we are blessed with a salvation that is more sure and more secure than anything we could ever hope or dream about. And that's one of the things that Paul is communicating uh, here in this. That our salvation, as he brings out a little bit later in the second chapter of that, of that uh, book, uh, the fact that our salvation is so sure that he already sees us seated in the heavenlies. He already sees you as a Christian, already in the glory uh, of heaven. Isn't it wonderful to have a, a salvation that is that sure? You don't have to wake up in the morning whether, wondering whether you're going to end up in heaven or whether you're saved or go to bed wondering that. I mean, it, it, the, the immensity uh, of that, that blessing. He goes on in that chapter uh, describing the blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus, that we've been adopted by God. Not only has God forgiven us, God could forgive us and then go put us in a corner and uh, put us on a stool and put a dunce cap on our head. And that would be eternity, just an infinite amount of people in a corner with dunce uh, caps on their head for the life uh, that, that we've lived. No, God not only forgives us of our sins, but He brings us into our, uh, His family and then calls us his, his children. Paul said we've been accepted in the Beloved because of Jesus we're an accepted people. Look at how people are craving acceptance in this world. And especially within our country, how they're craving it, what they're willing to do, what kind of pictures of themselves they're willing to put on social media and uh, what exotic places they're willing to travel to and every meal has to be posted every 
tree that they ever walk by has to be uh, put there. Every time their hair something happens with it, uh, it, it's posted. And this craving for acceptance. And we have the acceptance of God. Think about that. And we never have to worry that he's going to reject us, that he doesn't accept us, that this is one of the blessings that we have. Uh, some of you might have seen that um, documentary on, on the television that uh, some of these people that come out of the whole uh, Facebook world, Instagram world, and all this. And, uh, but, you know, when they, and I forget whether it's Facebook or Instagram, um, but, you know, they got the like button on it. And I'm not, on, I'm not on those things. I don't need another distraction in my life. It's not because I'm superior. Uh, I, I just don't need another temptation in my life. But they never intended that light thing. It was just to be, you know, kind of that's cool kind of a deal. And never becomes what it's become where people are so craving affirmation uh, and, and determining their self-worth and all of these kind of things based upon the number uh, of likes. But it speaks about our need for this kind of thing in our life, our need for acceptance. And of course, all a person is doing and all of that is simply revealing, a, uh, an out, revealing the fact that they're seeking an acceptance that, uh, and craving what only God can give uh, to them and may be a part of bringing a person uh, to, uh, to the Lord. Paul said, we have redemption through uh, Jesus' blood. So once we were slaves to our sin, once we were in bondage to our sin, our flesh and the devil, and because of Jesus' sacrifice upon the cross, we have been freed from that. We've been liberated. When I talk about freedom, you'll excuse me, the, excuse the illustration, but sometimes, a lot of times, when I think about freedom, my mind goes to Richie Haven and, and his singing Freedom at Woodstock. I wasn't there. Uh, but, uh, but I've seen the, the movie and I've seen the clips. I'm not recommending it. Uh, but when he starts to go into that whole freedom, that celebration of freedom, and he's talking about uh, a vastly inferior uh, freedom than the one that Christ provides, but the celebration of it. I mean, to be a freed people, think about that. Uh, and, and what Christ has done for us and what he has freed us uh, from. We have the forgiveness of sins. I mean, our paths are completely cleansed and, and we are forgiven. And I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful not to be uh, tormented uh, because of, of the forgiveness of God, tormented by my past. I was talking with a brother this week and, and uh and he was talking about some kind of a deal where, you know, uh, his, his mind will roll back. He's a Christian now. And his m mind will roll back to the stuff that he did. And, it's, uh, and he did a lot of stuff that would just send you into uh, perpetual, unending uh, condemnation. 
And uh, I, I know that not everybody has a past like that necessarily, but I, I told them, I said, you don't have, I understand exactly what you're saying. I can't go back there and, uh, and, and rummage through all of that. And as Christians, we don't need to. And it doesn't mean that it's been overlooked. It doesn't mean that it wasn't wrong. It just means that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was and is greater than any sin that we've committed. And He has the authority, God does, to forgive uh, those sins. We're also, Paul writes, a mystery-knowing people in that chapter. We know about, and this may not be important to uh, anybody else. I, I know it will be, but it's very important to me. And uh, a mystery-knowing people. We know uh, the origin of the heavens and the earth. We know the truth about the origin of man. We know uh, the reason the world is uh, broken and is fallen. It's because of sin. We know the origin of death. We know what happens after death. We know how to prepare for death. We know how to be saved. We know how the world is going to end. We know the meaning and the purpose of life. We know what God is like and so many other things that we could go on and on and and list. Things that we would know absolutely nothing about if God did not reveal these things to us in His uh, Word, and, and then to illuminate it to us by the Holy Spirit. Without the answers to those questions, we would be forced to live uh, ignorant, empty, meaningless, frustrating, hopeless, animal-like lives. You ever watch the news and you see where these different cities are uh, allowing uh, mobs of people to burn down buildings and assault people as they eat. And, and uh, I don't know about you, but it's an affront to me. And I'm not going to get into the whole uh, big deal about... Uh, you know, uh, it, it's, a, it's a big issue with a, a, a lot of uh, uh, facets uh, uh, to it in terms of law enforcement being handcuffed and the whole thing. I talk about backwards. It's just, it just comes uh, out of my mouth and I realize how backwards it is. But we look at it and, and we, we say, how in the world? Why would you pamper? Why would you accommodate this kind of thing? And what we have to realize is the worldview you have based upon the Word of God is you understand man to be fallen. You understand man to need, as, as those who are in need of laws and then law enforcement. And because the world is a fallen place, that this will absolutely devolve into absolute chaos without these things, because that's our understanding uh, uh, of the world from the Bible. But others that don't know the Lord or others that reject the Bible as, as uh, nonsense, they look at human beings and they say, all you have to do is be uh, uh, nice enough to them. And that's the way to win them over. Or uh, they've got the, everyone's got the divine spark in them. And we just have to accommodate all of this stuff while they're figuring out uh, who they are. And, and there's, that's why there's this huge gap, 
operating because people are operating from two entirely different uh, worldviews. And, and uh, so, uh, so we do, but wonderfully uh, illuminated by uh, the Word of God. Paul said we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. In other words, God has put his mark of ownership on us by filling us with the Holy Spirit. I mean, you, you list all of these things like this, and, and I know it just can be easy to say I know all of these things, but it, each of them in my mind, they're like a hard candy. <clears throat> I don't know who eats hard candies anymore, <clears throat> but when I was younger, older people had hard candies. Uh, in their home, and then they would open the dish and you could have one. We were all dying for a Hershey's bar or, a, uh, you know, a black cow or a, 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 something like that. Uh, but they would have these hard candies, and then they, what would they, they take the hard candy, and would they say, don't bite it, suck on it. And, uh, and so we would, till we got out of the room, and then we just chew it to pieces. And, and, uh, but, uh, but, to take each one of these things and just to savor them alone and to realize how, uh, how incredibly blessed we are uh, by God and as God's uh, 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 people. And, and I'd like us just to turn, as, as we close here, just to the left in your Bible to Psalm 103. And I just want to read... Uh, uh, 14 verses with you to again just priming the pump of this uh, this giving thanks to God the Father uh, through Him through Jesus in in life in general but also in in this Thanksgiving week Psalm 103 and allow me to read it and and uh, with the aim that it'll stir up gratitude within our hearts uh, the psalmist writes Bless the Lord O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all of your iniquities? Who heals all your diseases? It doesn't mean that God uh, promises to heal every disease that we have. It is, it is the psalmist saying that all healing that occurs, uh, occurs because of, of God. He is the origin uh, of of that, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness uh, and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. You ever been just famished for a meal? Uh, not, not meaning, oh man, I've, I'm still pretty stuffed, but I think I could get another forkful down here. What's for lunch? But when you really have gone a long time without a meal, worked really hard or whatever it might be, and that, that morsel of food gets put on your lips and your whole body says, thank you. Uh, from head to toe, as it, as it attempts now to absorb uh, the nutrition that has been uh, given to it. And, and this is what he's uh, describing there, that this, the, as God gives us uh, food to eat. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. 
He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. And so you read that and you go, oh no, I knew this was too good to be true. No, he's not saying, all right, buckaroo, I mean one more and uh, I'm done with you. What he's talking about here is even when he puts us in the doghouse because of some goofy thing that we've done, he won't always keep us in the doghouse. He will not deal with us according to our sins, nor uh, punish us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As a son as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him, for he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. In other words, God has great compassion upon us. He knows that we are fallen creatures, even as Christians, and we are far away from home, and we are living in a fallen environment, and we're trying to make our way through this mess. And he knows it's not easy, and he pities us uh, for all of that. He has compassion uh, upon us. And so the challenge for the Christian is never to find a reason or two uh, for being thankful. Uh, The challenge for us is not to become so familiar with all of these blessings that we become forgetful of them. And that's why the psalmist uh, begins the psalm there, and he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. He is reminding himself of how much he has to be uh, thankful for. So allow me to close uh, briefly here, observing this. Some of you may say, I thought you already said you're going to close. And that was my first closing. Um, but, but quite briefly here, um, observing that uh, thankfulness in life is its own blessing. Uh, it not only blesses God. Thankfulness in a person's life not only blesses other people. There's hardly a, a person that is a greater delight to be around than a thankful person. And hardly a person that is more difficult to be around than a perpetually unthankful person. But, but thankfulness is also a blessing uh, for us because it allows us to enjoy our blessings in a way that we would never otherwise enjoy them. <clears throat> Excuse me. To enjoy them as a gift from God and to enjoy them with God. And so you partake of a meal. And when a Christian prays and gives thanks for the meal, that meal becomes vastly more than it would otherwise. It becomes much more than me putting something tasty uh, in in my uh, stomach and filling my belly and being able to taste something that that, uh, tastes good. But I'm going to enjoy this meal now as a gift from God. I'm enjoying this meal now. And, And what I do, probably overthink everything, but what I do is I think about what is in front of me and where did that 
piece of protein or meat come from and the processes that were required for it to ever end up on that plate or uh, in that burrito and the vegetables and all of that. I mean, every meal is a miracle. It's a miracle and a, and a, and a gift from God. And then uh, to go on a walk and just say, thank you, Lord, for the strength to be able to do this. Lord, I know that not everybody has the strength or the health to, to go on a walk. I thank you that today I do, and I'm going to enjoy this walk uh, with you. You're such good company. company. A drive through the countryside becomes something it could never otherwise be than seeing it as a gift from God and with a thankful heart. A vacation the same way. It's the same thing when our car starts in the morning, especially as, as winter is coming in. We put our head down on the pillow to go to sleep. Thank you, Lord, for this bed that I have uh, to, to sleep on. And on and on and on it can go in terms of sunrises and sunsets and children and grandchildren and friends and, and the church. The fact of the matter is, is that good things are made even better when we recognize not only that they come from Him, but that we then enjoy them with Him. You notice that at the end of verse 17 in Colossians 3, he says, giving thanks to God uh, the Father through Him. It is uh, something entirely being aware of what we have to be thankful for is not quite a fulfillment of what Paul calls us to do here. Becoming aware simply primes the pump in our lives to then actually give Him thanks from our heart and from our lips for the blessing that He gives uh, uh, to us. And so what a quality uh, thankfulness to God in life adds uh, to life. There's a saying that, that I really like in this vein where a man wrote uh, centuries ago. He said, the worst moment for the atheist is when he is really thankful and has nobody to thank. Now you put yourself in those shoes and we've been in those shoes, most of us in this room. We weren't always Christians. And then to look at life as it once was, and the absence of thankfulness, and the presence of thankfulness, and the richness that it's brought in, into our lives that we recognize. Thankfulness is its own blessing. And so again, back to where we started. This verse Paul provides us in, in surrounding, <clears throat> being surrounded with all of these, <clears throat> all of these exhortations and commandments that he gives to us. He then, in the middle of all of it, provides us with these two majestic motivations for obeying God and the desire to glorify God through our lives in this world and then second, to obey Him out of a simple gratitude for who He is, the privilege of knowing Him, and all of His blessings within our 
lives. And if you sit here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, all of these blessings that we've talked about here this morning, uh, they're awaiting you. But first, you must repent of your sin, and you must turn to God, and you must put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you've never done that and you want to do that today, there will be pastors and others up in front immediately after the service, and a miracle will happen in your life. God Almighty in the person of the Holy Spirit will come into your lives. He will do it right here on the spot, and you'll be born again by the Holy Spirit and enter into the relationship with God that you have been created for. Let's stand together now, and we'll close in prayer. Father, each of us uh, this morning as Christians acknowledge to you in this moment that we are living a life, uh, a life of blessing, that we were, that we don't even remotely deserve. And for that, we thank you. And for that, Lord, we pray as we would sanctify our lives, or sanctify our lives to you this morning, fresh and anew, that you would take our lives and that you would use them in all of the overtly spiritual things like Bible study and Bible reading and singing worship songs, but Lord, that every area of our life would be something that is bringing glory to you and making you known. And thank you for providing us with all of these wonderful safe commandments that are in your word. But thank you as well for providing us with the motivation to do so and the power to do so in your Holy Spirit. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.